This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Behind every memorable moment and career highlight on the diamond. And the Twins are baseball's world champion. Number 500 for Han Killebrew. Francisco Lariano has pitched a no-hitter. Gone! A walk-off for Chanel! And the Twins win it! Are the true gems, the inside stories and tales. I had zero idea what was going on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm starting game one. Like, what is happening? Honestly, and it ended up being cooler that I hit a third triple than hitting the grand slam. But at the moment, I was mad that it wasn't a grand slam. I went into the seventh inning, and it got broken up by Joe hitting a single. We'll call it a very loose single. And you'll find those candid, casual conversations here on the Twins Clubhouse Podcast. Now, here's Chris Atterbury. Well, welcome back to the Twins Clubhouse and this edition of the Twins Clubhouse brought to you by Pearson Salted Nut Roll, proudly made in Minnesota, empowering hard workers since 1933. Get yours today on Amazon or at pearsonscandy.com. We once again throw open the doors of the Twins Clubhouse for what we hope and uh, expect to be a, a very fun chunk of time here, uh, reliving some great memories and making some new ones uh, with some of our favorite people. You heard the voices there of guys like Denard Spann and Brian Dunsing, and today we welcome in Twin Hall of Famer and one of our all-time favorites, Mr. Michael Kadire from his home, uh, kind enough to give us some time, and uh, taking a break, Michael, from uh, teaching second grade. Is that fair? That's uh, that is fair, Chris. How's everything going? I hope you're well and safe. And uh, we're we're we are we're we're taking a break from sixth and, and second grade teaching, putting our teachers' hats back on. Well, I tell you what, you got a tough act to follow because in this space last week was none other than the legendary Mike Redman. Uh, and he broke. He broke some big team news. Team love handles. Team love handles. <laughs> team, team love handles. Uh, he <laughs> he broke some big news uh, because he broke the news that for the first time in his entire adult life, he mowed his own lawn. Uh, actually, Uh-oh. went out, bought a lawnmower. His wife couldn't believe it. He said it looked a little ragged. Uh, but yeah, he mowed his own lawn for the first time ever. Have you had any firsts? Uh, since usually you would be out and about doing doing your thing at this time of the year. Well, about three years ago, I turfed my backyard, so I didn't Ooh, have no. to have the first time of mowing lawn. So uh, the the landscaping hat, the green thumb, has not gone onto my hand, or it has not entered our house, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, so to speak. I think the first for me is teaching, um, you know, learning Google Classroom is the first for me. <laughs> I, I never had to use Google, Google Classroom, didn't know really what it entailed. Um, my kids have never had to use it before this time. So we're, we're getting familiar with that. And now that we are familiar with how it works, we're diving into lessons and putting on our Jeff Foxworthy mask and seeing if I'm smarter than a second grader, which I am unfortunately not. Yeah, there's no chance. There's no chance you're going to win in a situation in a situation like that. Uh, it, your duties with the Twins, are there still communications? Are there still things you're dabbling in, despite the fact that it's basically been shut down for the time being? 
Yeah, I mean, there are. There's there's meetings. I, I think, you know, one thing that's come from all of this, and I think we can speak in not just in the twins, but in all walks of life and business is we're figuring out new ways to communicate. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, I think we're doing that with the twins, with whether it's Zoom calls or more phone calls or FaceTime, whatever the case may be. We're figuring out ways to communicate, talk, share ideas. People are learning different aspects of the organization, different aspects of their jobs that they never would have really had the time to do. And, you know, we're no different. Uh, we've got, I got a Zoom call tomorrow with some of our minor league infield coaches and to go from there. So we're, we're learning different, different aspects of our jobs. Well, very cool. Well, we're going to try to share with fans here today some of the different aspects of Michael Kadire. Uh, we, we've plucked some highlights out of the archives, and Gino oh. and Drew have done a great job of pulling some out. Uh, some are your quotes after a game. Some are game action in and of themselves from some different uh, signpost moments throughout your career. And I'll tell you, it was really hard because there are a lot of great moments throughout your career. But let's start at the very beginning. And uh, I didn't realize this all the time we'd done shows and worked on things together. I didn't realize that your call-up in 2001 was a, the post-9-11 call-up, right? I knew that you guys had been in the double-A playoffs when 9-11 happened. But then was your first taste in the big leagues actually after the big league games renewed later in the yep. year? Yeah, very, very strange time. And as a matter of fact, I, I kind of use that story. You know, my son's 11 years old, and their their little team this year was supposed to go to the big Cooperstown tournament. And unfortunately, that Cooperstown tournament, which is what the, the meeting place of all 12-year-olds, travel teams, whatever, it was 104 teams a week, it got canceled. And I used the get the, my call-up as kind of a story in the sense that when I did get call up, it was four or five days after 9-11. And here was this glorious moment, um, the pinnacle at that time in my life and that time in my career uh, had reached it. But yet, by no means was it an exciting time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an exciting time individually, and I called my parents and we were all happy. But at the same time, you immediately check back into what's going on in the pulse of the world. And I think that is a good learning uh, a good learning lesson for society now in a sense that when this is all over and it'll be great to get back to, to the new normal or what will be normal at the same time, you, you check back in and realize how many lives have been affected because of this pandemic. And that was strange. It was a strange time. And when I finally did make it up to Minnesota, because I had to drive from New Britain, Connecticut, because there was no flights, So it was a 24 hour drive. But a lot of time to think about that and reflect on that and reflect, um, you know, just how important is this baseball thing? And in the grand scheme of things, at that particular moment, it wasn't really that important. It kind of helped me put perspective on my career. And to be honest with you, it took a little bit of the pressure I was putting on myself to succeed off because you realize at the end of the day, it's it's a profession, it's a game, but it's not life. Um, there are a lot bigger impacts in life that are that are going to have be way bigger than we are individually so it was it was a cool moment um somber moment don't get me wrong but cool moment to put that perspective on things yeah a very unique one you were in a very unique situation there so the next year you get called up in july and then on july 20th in detroit you did something for the first time as a major leaguer and here's what it sounded like so the Twins with a 6-3 lead, trying for more in the fifth, and here's Kadire with a high drive, deep right field, way back, way back, thick at the wall, gone! Three-run homer for Michael Kadire. Touch them all, Michael Kadire, his first 
major league home run. Yeah, Robert Fick playing right field for the Tigers on that day. <laughs> pretty, pretty that, that surprised me when I heard Fick at the wall. Uh, do Tell us, uh, now I've got it all written down here, but I, I would assume you can remember exactly who was on base, who was pitching, the pitch you hit out. Can you remember it like it was yesterday? I do. I remember Jamie Wright was pitching, and um, I, the, the manager was Luis um, – I forgot his last name, but he was the manager at Erie the year before in double A, which is where we were in New Britain. We played against him a few times. Their team was number one in their division. Um, our team was number one in our division. And for some reason at that particular, he pulled out the righty and brought in Jamie, right? The lefty to come face me. And um, yeah, I, I didn't, we didn't understand that. I was happy about it. Fortunately, got the got a fastball in the outer half, and I didn't miss it. And uh, yeah, it was it was a big that was a big moment for me. You never forget your friend. And the ball went actually. That was back when Detroit had the visiting bullpen was in right field. It wasn't like it is now at Comerica oh, yeah, where they put it in left field. So the bullpen was in right field, and Detroit Hawkins got the ball, and they ended up getting a fake ball and signed on it. Uh, some you know Michael Kadire <laughs> first home run caught by explicitive can't say yep. it and um, then had everybody sign it and then gave me the ball and i'm looking at it and reading it and i'm like this dude messed up my ball like my first home run ball he just totally messed it up denny hawking calls me in in the dugout and shows me you know laughs at me whatever and says here's what you do you take the ball you run out there to the outfield because at the time i was playing right field like i was going to play catch with them and just act how like you were so super mad so I did. I ran out there. I ran out there with that ball, and I and I acted like I was going to start crying that he messed up my ball, and I ended up chucking it into the stands, saying, I don't want it anymore. If you're going to mess up my ball, I ended up chucking it in the stands. And, and he's like, no, no, man, that's not it. That's a fake ball. Da, da, da. So I ended up throwing the joke back out on him. So it was kind of funny. Well, Bobby Kilty was aboard, so was Doug Mankiewicz. Uh, and you were actually – you had a big day. You drove in four, but Kilty had a homer and a triple, and David Ortiz hits two homers in the same game. So you were like third billing, even though you were picking up your first major league <laughs> home run. And, and what a year it was, right? 2002, you get to the big leagues, uh, really kind of to stay at that point. You guys are in the middle of an exciting pennant race. You'd hit all the steps on the ladder. And we fast-forward in that same season – uh, to another day where you didn't star at the plate, but you stood in right field and watched Brad Radke do this. Here's a set by Radke, his pitch. Justice lines one out of the shallow right. Mantavis grabs it. And the game is over. A looping liner caught by Doug Mantavis. And the Twins have broken Oakland's winning streak at 20 consecutive games. A brilliant set out here tonight for Brad Radke. Boy, he was just playing dominating after the third inning. Of all the personal and team accomplishments you've been a part of, that that's just a unique moment there to snap that big winning streak. You could hear how loud the crowd was at the Dome. Good rivalry between the Twins and Oakland. What do you recall about that game? Well, I wish you had had a highlight about a week before, or I wish it would have been a pertinent highlight. <laughs> we were in we were in Oakland before they had broken the record, and I believe it was they were going for like win sixteen or. You know, it was right before they were going to break the record, but that is obviously getting traction. And, you know, we were playing a day game. It was our last game in a series there in Oakland. And Mark Mulder's pitching. He's shutting us down. I think it's two to one or, or, or two to nothing going into the, the top of the ninth. And Koski hits a homer. Lee Croy hits a homer. 
I end up, they bring in Billy Koch and I end up hitting a home run to put us up at the, in the ninth inning. I'm thinking, I, well, I just broke, this is my sports center it. moment, right? I'm a yeah. rookie. I just broke the streak or they're not going to set the record because of me, right? Michael, 0 for 3 today and he swings and drives up, baby. One, way back into deep left center field. Way back. Touch them all, Michael Kadire. And the Twins have the lead at 5 to 4 with their third home run of the inning. Oh, what a blast by Michael Kadire. They come back out there, Eddie's pitching, they work, a couple guys get on base, and Miguel Tejada hits a three-run home run to walk us off to keep their streak alive. They end up breaking the record, and we end up getting it back in Minnesota. But, um, I mean, what a run that they had. Obviously, if they didn't, if, if that would have happened, there probably would have been no book, no movie. We would have <laughs> ruined everything. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is. They got us. We ended up getting that, that win, and then in the postseason later on, a couple weeks later, we were able to get him back, but um, what a fun time to be around. Yeah, and as you mentioned, a couple of weeks later, here's what it sounded like. Swing and a high pop-up, playable for Menkevi, or Hawking. Hawking is there. He's got it. The Twins are the division champions. There you have it. Uh, that was uh, the division champions. That was the division series win over Oakland. Uh, the last twin series win in a postseason, unfortunately. At that point as a rookie, were you thinking – well, this is just how it works. You play 162, and then you win a postseason series. This seems easy. Oh, absolutely. You know, and then we, we ended up losing to the Angels, but then we ended up getting back in 03, getting back in 04. I thought it was going to be like, a, you know, and every every year, every time occurrence. Um, little did I know that that was going to be the, the last time until my very last year ever playing I was going to win a playoff series. But, um, you know, that, that's the way baseball works. But that was a fun time. It was a heck of a game. Unbelievable series. As a matter of fact, going against their three-headed monster with Hudson, Zito, and Mulder. And the battle, that the team that they had, the team that we had. But, I mean, I think we just had the con- – we had a lot of confidence. And we knew that if we just played our game, we were going to break through. And we had the talent to do it. And we had cr- incredible at-bats throughout the whole course of the series. Uh, we never we, – we got down, but we never got out. We always fought way- fought our way back. And ended up getting that last out. And, uh, you know, I remember running out there on the mound. And I, I was the first one to, to meet Eddie. And all of a sudden, the whole team's <laughs> falling on you. And it's, it was a cool feeling, for sure. Michael, you crushed that series, too. You had a 962 OPS at 385 against a very good pitching staff. Not a bad little first taste of the postseason, huh? No, and you know what? It's funny because, obviously, as a, as a kid, you, you watch – post seasons on TV, you know, you're growing up and you're watching, you're watching the pregames and you're watching the buildup and you get to read articles and, and everything's built up in your head as, as what it would be like to play in the postseason. And then when you finally get there and you realize the routine is the same, your BP times are at the same time, your ground balls are at the same time. You don't get to watch the pregame show. You don't get to watch the hype. You don't get to watch the pageantry and the buildup. And for me, it was kind of – it was good. It was it was good because I didn't have a chance to build it up, to build the moment up in my head to be larger than what it was because ultimately what it is, it's a game. It's another game. And when you're going through it and you and you – you're out there for batting practice and you realize, man, this is, this is the same batting practice that we took three days ago for the last day of the season. And it, it, it took a lot of the pressure off of me. It allowed me to relax. And I think because of that, I was, it allowed me to have success throughout that series and, and 
really the rest of my career in the postseason. Now, I guess the bigger question is who played you in the movie version of that? Did they? Did they? Did you get to yeah, sit I in didn't, on I the casting call? I didn't make it. I didn't make that cut. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere on the cutting room floor, there's a would-be Michael Kadire. They got snipped yeah. out of the Moneyball credits. That's sad. I mean, you were the first guy to get to Eddie. That should have been should have been your chance right there. Uh, as you mentioned, been. the next week, Michael, uh, the Angels, and you guys get game one, and then you run into a buzzsaw that is Adam Kennedy. Fly ball, deep right center field, way back, way back. No way. you got to be kidding God, me. No. Adam Kennedy has hit another home run, and Anaheim leads by a score of 6-5. to five. Now, it's not a fun highlight, but I just hearing Danny scream and yell, I just had to play it because that's just too much. Like, Gordo loses it. Danny can't believe it. He's ready to fight somebody, even though he yeah. probably was uh, stealing rally monkeys on the way out of the press box. Uh, that was it. That was a goofy series, wasn't it? How often did you did that sit in your head? Or because you were a rookie and because it was your first go-around, were you able to kind of move forward from that a little quicker than maybe if you'd been later in your career? I definitely think it was the latter. I mean, I definitely think, you know, we as a, as a team, we knew we were going to be back. We knew we had a good team. Yeah, it stung. Yeah, it was tough. But we knew that that this was just the start, and it was kind of the evolution. You know, 2001, we just came up short of making it to the postseason. 2002, we win the first round. We come up short of getting to the, to the World Series. So we just figured it was the evolution. So I don't think it did take us very long to get over it is unfortunately we never got back to that situation, but um, you know, that whether it be the rally monkey, Adam Kennedy, the thunder sticks, whatever it was, it was definitely Anaheim's year. Cause they had a, a, a comeback series against the giants who was, were heavily favored and then they end up winning the world series. So, I mean, it was tough, tough to swallow, but I, I don't think it lingered in our minds very long. And as you mentioned, Michael, you guys did get back to the postseason in 03. You got back again in 04. You really established yourself as a regular part of that core and a starting guy, a guy who's going to play well over 100 games every year in 04 and 05. For all the talk of the, the groups in Twins development, you know, you had the, the first group that came up and saved baseball, and then you had kind of Joe and Justin. I always feel like you're kind of – you were kind of the in-between group or like you were kind of part of both groups in a way. Uh, Mm -hmm. Where did you fit in to those two cores? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's about just being a baseball player, right? You know, I mean, you obviously I came up, it was, uh, you're right. I came up in between them, that first group, you know, Minkiewicz and Koski and Torrey and Jock Jones Mm -hmm. and those guys. I was in instructional league, my first year of instructional league, which is probably their second, third year in pro ball. We were all in instructional league together. And that was back when instructional league was a, was a big, a big deal and a big thing. Mm -hmm. And where, you know, 30 to 40 guys were there for six to eight weeks getting better. So that's where I got to know those guys and, and got to be really close and get those bonds with them. But then I was at the top of the minor league, you know, food chain, so to speak, when Joe and Justin all came in there and, and, and they got drafted and were able to come. So they were also part of the same minor league system that I was involved with. So, yeah, I was kind of right there in, in between them both, was able to form relationships, establish relationships with both of them. I was able to learn from those older guys, pass it down to the younger guys, and we were all be able to mesh together. But the reason why we were all able to mesh together is because the Twins did a tremendous job of, of drafting and developing quality people. 
not just the players. Yes, we were great players and, and tremendous baseball players, but quality people that didn't have egos that were willing to sacrifice individual numbers, individual stardom for the sake of the team. And I think you saw that. And I think that's what resonated so well with, with twins fans during that era is that there, you didn't see the prima donnas. You didn't see the egos. You, you didn't see riffs very much within the team. You just saw guys that love going out there and playing baseball. And 2006 really flowered as well. Uh, the way the, the, the crowd here in twins territory took to what you guys did uh, zipping up from behind and, and that, amazing last day of the season at the Metrodome 2006 also uh, brought you something that you had not done yet before uh, and it happened at the expense of one of your old teammates JC Romero this is April 19th and the twins 90 feet away from winning the game here's the pitch fly ball center field it's deep here's Ersted to the track Ersted to the Get wall up, baby yeah! Michael Kadir Touch them all, Michael, and the Twins win the game 12-10 on Michael Kadire's home run over the center field wall. First walk-off bomb, and you got J.C. Romero. Not bad. No, not bad at all. So, <clears throat> so 2005 was a rough year for me. I didn't, uh, I didn't play very well, particularly well. It was my first chance to really play every day, and I kind of squandered it a little bit. Come into 2006, and I... I you know, it was kind of the 25th man on the team. Um, was playing a little bit everywhere. So in April, I didn't play. I maybe had 30 at bats, 25 at bats, if that. And um, you know, that was a pinch hit at bat where I didn't. I was on the bench the first 11 innings of the game, or first 11 and a half innings of the game, really. And um, Guardy puts me in pinch hit. I think I had pinch hit for Punto in that situation. And um, you know, I was able to get a pitch off of him. I think it was a a change up and hit it, hit it out to right center. Two or three games later, Kubel and Lou Ford both get hurt. And that gives me an opportunity to now be the everyday right fielder by default, basically. And um, didn't look back, ended up driving in a hundred, scoring a hundred that year. And, and fortunately was able to, uh, you know, to establish myself. But yeah, that, that game was kind of a, a a jump start for for me for that season because I hadn't really I didn't really play for those first three weeks of the season. And it's wild when you think about it, Michael. The odds of hitting a, a pinch hit home run in the tenth inning to win a game very low. You're always facing one of the top guys on <laughs> yeah. the other team, right? So here you're looking at this pivot point for your season and your confidence, and it comes down to you doing something that is so improbable for even the best player in that situation. It is funny how those little moments stitch together. Uh, and lead towards bigger things uh, over the course of the fabric of uh, uh, of a career. Now, we we looked it up. You have one other walk-off that we found in your career. It wasn't a home run. Do you remember it by any chance? Yeah, I was in New York and uh, hit a hit a single off Sergio Romo up the middle against, uh, against the Giants. Of course you remembered it. I, <laughs> I assumed you would, <laughs> and I would hope that you would remind Sergio of that uh, every time you see him in the clubhouse. Uh, uh, nothing quite like uh, ending a game getting mobbed by your teammates. So uh, 2007, uh, solid year again. 2008, though, becomes uh, a crazy year for the Minnesota Twins, and this was the era where as I look back on it, it's funny. I felt like that those teams were so good. And I'm starting in six and going all the way through ten with a lot of the similar core members of your club. 
but it always seemed like nothing could come easy for those teams. Like, you guys didn't want it easy. All the talent was there, but every game I felt, Michael, was a fight. Every single one. If you were playing the last place team, fight. If you were playing the uh, a team that was supposed to blow you out, fight. Like, I just felt like there was something in the, the genetic makeup of those teams that it wasn't always going to be or ever going to be pretty and easy with that bunch. No, you're right. And I think, you know, that comes from, from, you know, I think playing the game the right way, you know, baseball is not supposed to be lopsided one way or the Mm -hmm. other baseball is not played where the scores are, you know, eight to two and, you know, and you, you go out and you're supposed to, you know, major league baseball, professional baseball, you're not supposed to have 120 win seasons. You just, that's (laughs) the way it is. You know I mean? Some, some anomalies are out there. Yes. But, for the most part, we're all, they're all professionals. And I think we were the epitome of being a professional baseball team and we were going to be in there and we knew how to, how to fight. And I think what those years did and what those particular games did was it allowed us to know what it meant to not have, not back down and be in Mm -hmm. tough situations and, you know, know that you might not succeed, but you know that you're going to, you're going to fight in those situations. And I think they prepared us for, I think what you're alluding to in 08 and 09. Yeah, at two one sixty threes, right? And we talk about the O yeah. nine as well. We should. I, I, it's a picture. I think all of us who were involved probably have that picture. You're jumping, and Mike Redmond's running, and Guerrero's errors everywhere, and Bobby Keppel looks like he can't believe what he just witnessed. And uh, it, it, that was amazing, and, and remains maybe the most spectacular game I've ever been a part of. But I always wonder. 2008 game 163 if that goes a little differently is that the one we're talking about because that game while the twins fall short had everything and it was nearly a tie game as you bulldozed into aj Przinski at home plate we're talking about the makings of a of a drama here you got hall of famer jim tomey accounting for the only run hall of famer ken griffey jr in center field two teammates colliding at home plate a sold-out crowd everyone wearing black Here's how the biggest play of the game sounded. Two balls and two strikes. Here's the pitch. Popped up. Shallow center field. Griffey on. And Kadire's tagging up, and he's going to try for it. Here's the throw at the plate, and he's run over at the plate, and A.J. hangs onto it, and Kadire's out. He said he didn't even feel it in his glove. He didn't feel the ball in his glove or anything after the hit. So just goes to show that it just kind of just stuck there. One of the most amazing plays I've ever seen, Michael. One of those rare baseball plays where everybody did their job exactly right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But for a fraction of friction between the ball and A.J.'s glove, hey, we could still be playing, right? Yeah, so there's a couple of different layers to that play and, and to that game. You know, with me, I, I still had a broken foot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had just come off the DL. I, I was on the DL, went down to – triple a ended up getting hit in the foot by a line drive from Garrett Jones, which fractured my foot ended up missing another six weeks. And I literally just came back a week before just to get ready for the end of the season in case we had a game 163 or the playoffs. So I, my foot was still healing. It wasn't fully healed yet. Um, I DH that game because I had good numbers against John Danks who started the game and Ended up hitting that that hitting a double in that inning, getting to third. Harry Brendan hits a fly ball that, if there were any other score in any other inning in any other situation, no chance they would have sent it sent me home. There's no if the ball was too shallow, it was too shallow to go home, especially with Griffey in center. 
And had it been a younger Griffey, no chance they would have mm-hmm. sent me home. So we take a chance because we figured with the way Danks was pitching, the way we were hitting, this was going to be our one shot. This is going to be our only shot. So I end up running home on a shallow ball with a broken foot, and I see AJ catch the ball with his arm extended. And I had two choices. I could either run through him, like with his chest, through his chest, or I could run for his arm with a better chance of jarring the ball loose. And I picked, obviously, his arm. I picked run. I ran. I almost had the crosshairs right into his bicep, right into his elbow. And that's where I kind of collided, where the, the maximum force of my, of my collision was in right there on his shoulder and his bicep, thinking that it was going to jar the ball loose, maybe even his glove loose. Well, the way it came around, he almost kind of like he hugged me. And that's how the ball stuck as opposed to probably maybe if I should have gone through his chest, it would have been a little different. Who knows? But um, that's how that that whole play ended up and the backstory to that play, how it ended up working. Is that one you've ever you ever talked to AJ about when you've crossed paths? Uh, we had mentioned it. We had talked about it. And, uh, you know, I, he he I'm he he showed even though it didn't maybe look like it, he showed great restraint into smack talking right there in that in that in that moment he i think if it was any other player he probably would have like stuck the glove in my face and said look at this aha you know but you know we actually we actually were neighbors um for about six years in fort myers and they would have like he and lisa would have me over before they had kids and before i was married we would have dinner probably four out of every seven days and so, but I, I, he showed great restraint in that, uh, in that moment. <laughs> well, from one, one sixty-three to another 2009, one of your finer seasons, you hit 32 out, drove in 94. It was a fun year. It was a fun team. Uh, and still it came down, uh, to, to the bitter end. Uh, but earlier in the year, you again added another bucket list item. And this time it was in Milwaukee and a one, two pitch broken bad ground ball fair. Inside the bag at third, Morneau's going to score easily. And the ball into the corner. Kadire needs a triple. He's going for it. He's going to get it. Throw to third, not in time. Kadire with the cycle. One of seven triples you hit that year, which was a career high. And broken bat, Michael? Come on. Broken bat triple? Yeah, it was one of those uh, <laughs> snuck, snuck past the third baseman kind of trickled along into the bullpen down there in left field, our bullpen. And, you know, Ryan Braun did not take any chances. That's for sure. He let that <laughs> thing go all the way around the, uh, around the wall. He fielded it. And, and fortunately it was able to, uh, to finish the cycle up. Yeah, well, there you go. You go ahead and you, you notch another one of those kind of crazy baseball uh, achievements that uh, you can't plan out. And, and then at the end of that year, of course, uh, you do end up in another 163. Should mention you did hit for the cycle again in 2014. Did you break your bat and, and in that one? A funny, a funny, a funny story about that cycle as well. So, you know, the one in Minnesota against the Brewers, Manny Parra started that game, and I hit a home run and a double off Manny Parra. And my home, my cycle with Colorado was against the Reds, and the last hit of that game, I ended that game with a double to to complete the cycle. Manny Parra was the pitcher. So both both games, <laughs> both of my cycles, the double was off of Manny Parra. You got to got to get him to sign the ball for you or something. Like <laughs> no. I don't know if he'd be too he'd be too pleased about that. Uh, yeah. We we mentioned the other one sixty three. Is that game still? I mean, you're a guy. You played in the World Series. 
you've played in all-star games. You've been a part of, of big wins. Uh, you've had big individual accomplishments. Is is there been any that matched that, just that overriding four-plus hours seemingly of intensity? No, no, not not even not even close. Um, I think because of everything that went involved, I mean, it was kind of the microcosm of our season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just the first part of the season just kind of you're just finding out where you are. You're moving along. We ended up getting down in the season, just like we ended up getting down in the game. And then once it gets tied up and it gets into September, so to speak, and the latter part of that game, that's when things really got interesting and got fun and got exciting and back and forth. And we were trading punches with the Tigers, just like we did during the season and during that whole month of September. And um, again, just like the season, the game ended up in our favor. Yeah, and then uh, the next thing you know, you're in New York, and uh, away we go. As uh, that was yeah. a, the final again, whole regular season game ever in the Metrodome. Michael Kadire is our guest here on the Twins Clubhouse, reliving some of the many, many great moments uh, in his Twins career, a Twins Hall of Famer. Uh, and today's edition of the Twins Clubhouse is brought to you by Pearson Salted Nut Roll, proudly made in Minnesota, empowering hard workers since 1933. Get yours today on Amazon or at Pearson's Candy. Com. Now we're moving into Target Field. And one of the things I remember is that great commercial you shot with Joe and Justin at the construction site. Uh, <laughs> you guys well, you guys were hitting hitting homers and you had the, the construction hats on backwards and you were pitching and swinging. Uh, you did a lot of those fun photo you know, video shoots through the years. You got any good backstory on that one in particular? No, I mean, not really. Uh, you know, I think when we get there and, and we see the site and we, it's funny, like when it a baseball field is not very big, and a baseball, you know, the 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 when you get into a stadium, it looks like it's the grandest thing in the world. Like you know, I remember the first time I walked into a stadium, I was like, this is the the biggest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. But then when you get on a construction site, which is the first time I've ever been on a construction site of of a baseball stadium you realize how small the actual plot of land is that they're putting it on. So I was more shocked. I was like, man, you, you really telling me a stadium's going to fit right here. Lo and behold, there it is. And, um, you know, it, it was fun. That was a fun commercial to shoot though. That's three pretty competitive guys there. When you, they've got you swinging and stuff. Were, were you guys, uh, legitimately pitching and hitting or did they have you guys just uh, tossing them up uh, to make it look that way? How'd you pull it off? Yeah, just kind of tossing it up. You know, I think we were scared to break some of the equipment for the most part, like you know, <laughs> drill it in. You have to break a window of a bulldozer or something like that. But um, you know that, and just we didn't know where the balls were going to ricochet, and I didn't want to hit a comeback. We didn't want to hit comebackers to each other, so it was it was weird. It was a weird um, that particular part of the commercial was kind of strange. Well, we end up uh, breaking into uh, to Target Field in 2010, and what a, what a team! Uh, the 2010 Minnesota Twins were. And obviously with Justin getting hurt and the things that had to happen, but you bring Jim Tomei over, you played on some really good Twins teams. Was that the best one you think that had the, the best potential if it stayed healthy? I mean, it's hard to hard to differentiate, but where would you put the 2010 club? Man, it's a, it's a tough question. Um, I think as far as chances to, to win a World Series going into the postseason, yes. And I only say that because I feel like in 2006 we were better. But once Frankie had Tommy John, once mm-hmm. Liriano had Tommy John surgery, obviously our, our chances diminished greatly. Um, but going into the postseason, 
I feel like we had we felt really confident with who we are who we were. We had home field advantage. I think we felt good about about our chances. Um, again, just unfortunately couldn't couldn't get over that hump. Well, we're going to get to the postseason debut of Target Field in a minute, but first, you you checked another box in August of that year against the Royals uh, when you got two in the same inning. Let's take a listen. Here's Farnsworth's pitch, and here's a high drive deep left center field. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Michael Kadire. Home run number two in the inning. Now, Farnsworth, big, snorting, snarling, hard-throwing, crazy <laughs> guy on the mound. The guy you hit the first one off, kind of the polar opposite. Do you remember who it was? Yeah, Brian Bannister. I had yeah. pretty good, pretty good uh, numbers off of him in my career. And uh, it, was, it was a tight game. He was shutting us down. I think that was the seventh inning. And I, I yep. don't know if we were – it was one nothing or one to one, and then we just blew up that inning. Obviously, if I'm able to come up twice and, and hit home runs, but um, yeah, I mean that was a that was a fun day, and and you know I think the next night Farnsworth drills me, um, or <laughs> either, or maybe a week later he drills me, and you know he was a guy that as you mentioned he was a big dude, strong dude. And I, the rumor, and I don't know how true it was, but the rumor was he was like into jujitsu and all this other stuff. So he drills me, and I know it's on purpose. You know, I obviously didn't agree with it because I didn't do anything to warrant getting held a hit other than hitting a home run. But he was the last guy I was going to even make an attempt to the mound with. I mean, I was almost apologizing to him as, <laughs> as the ball came in and hit me, and I'm running to, I just run to first base. But uh, that was a, that was a cool moment. Uh, who did you ever consider charging the mound in your career? No, I didn't. I, I didn't because other than that one time, I'm sure. Well, there was another time I knew I was hit on purpose, but it was Burley, and I had a pretty good relationship with Burley just because I'd faced him so many times. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, it was after Canerco got Pavano hit Canerco in the face, and um, so I got I was leading off the next inning, and Burley hit me. That was the only other time I really. Knew 100% I got hit on purpose, and um, that particular time, I was like, I mean, this is just going to happen. One yeah. of their guys just got hit in the face. One of our guys is going to get hit. So there was no warrant. It wasn't warranted to, to fight or anything like that. At least Burley's going to do it quickly. Uh, there was a, a guy with Texas who used to hit Morno all the time. He used to hit everybody all the time. Uh, Vicente, Vicente Padilla. Padilla, yeah. He was a guy that I remember would get, get honored. But the craziest one of those stories has to be when Delman Young charged our, our own <laughs> dugout, right? Like, where were you when that, when that went down? So, you know, Jose Maharas is pitching, and – I believe he hit Brandon Inge and though everybody knew he hit hit him on purpose, but there was no reason like the game didn't warrant it. There was, there was no situation in the game where it was warranted. It nobody understood Everett. why. And was um, it Adam Everett or Brandon Inge, Michael? I, I remember Adam Everett somehow being, it might've been, it might've been Everett. It might've been Everett. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it might've been Everett. It's exactly, exactly who it was. And so Gardy comes, takes Maharis out of the game, obviously, because Gardy's mad because there was literally no reason to do it. And we're meeting in the outfielders during a pitching change, just like like outfielders do. <laughs> I remember Bonderman's warming up, and Delman says, I swear if Bonderman drills me, because Delman knew he was leading off the first inning or leading <laughs> off the inning the, the next half inning, Delman says, I swear if Bonderman drills me, I'm going after Maharis. <laughs> And we're, you know, we're kind of just laugh or whatever. And sure enough, 
first pitch, Delman gets hit and starts charging our dugout. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. I mean, he, hey, he, he said he was going to do it. He <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he did it. <laughs> Let's get back to, uh, to 2010. Target Field's first year, and you couldn't really have drawn it up uh, any better, save for keeping Justin healthy. Uh, all year long. It was an exciting team. It was a fun team. You had Tomei hitting moonshots and flagpoles, and uh, your lineup up and down was amazing. Uh, there were some forgotten really good seasons in there. A guy like Orlando Hudson had a great year. You know, people don't even remember. He was he was a part of the Twins. The pitching was good. The atmosphere, the weather, it was all coming up aces for the Minnesota Twins. And Target Field gets to host an outdoor playoff game, and you did this, nearly shook the thing right back down to rubble. Swinging a drive center field and well hit. Granderson back, way back. It's gone. Just cleared the wall. Two-run home run for Michael Kadir. Touch them all, Michael. And the Twins have a two-to-nothing lead. So I was down beneath the Champions Club in the radio studio, and I felt the building shaking when that ball landed. That had to be a pretty fun trip around the bases. No, absolutely. That was we were pumped about that, and you know, that was before guys were hitting them into the upper tank in center field. You know, what is it? Jambi said, "Once the concrete settles, then the ball's <laughs> going to jump." Well, that was before the concrete settled at Target Field, so home runs were not a plenty, especially to that part of the part of the park. So, to, so I think the moment off of Sabathia to get us out to a two nothing lead, and where it was hit in the stadium, just got us all pumped and fired up, and. You know, honestly, God, we thought we were—it was gonna—we were gonna take off after that, but um, you know, unfortunately, that's not how it ended. No, it did not uh, turn out uh, with a happy ending, but it certainly—it certainly had the entire city on its ear uh, there. And, mm-hmm. and I'm with you. I thought that was it. I said, "Up, oh, Cuddy got CC," and, and Sabathia was so good against the Twins for so many years that you thought this yeah. was it, and uh, it just wasn't to be. The next year, 2011, your last year in a Twins uniform. Uh, things started to, to go awry in a variety of different ways, but your game never did, and uh, you got the chance to, to go to the All-Star game and hear were your, your comments at the time. Words really can't describe it. I mean, it's, it's right up there with getting your first call to the big leagues. I mean, it's, it's extremely special. You think about all the people that have helped you, you know, from Little League on up and teammates and coaches, and you go out and you play the game. You play the game hard, and you try and do things the right way, and fortunately it gets recognized sometimes, and it's nice to have that, that recognition. I mean, it, it, it makes you feel good about yourself. I'm not one that seeks it. I don't go out and look for it, but when you do get recognized, it, it makes you feel pretty good. What was the coolest part of the actual experience, Michael, when you went to the All-Star Game in 11? You know, I think the coolest thing was it was – 10 years into my career at the big league level. Um, you know, so I, I'm not going to say I wouldn't have appreciated it had it happened earlier in my career, but having it happen, you know, after my thirties and I had my son, I was married the time in my life that it happened. Um, you know, I, I think the level of appreciation would have been unmatched had it happened earlier. So I think, you know, everything happens for a reason. Things in your career happen for a reason. They happen in their due time and when they're supposed to happen. If I were ever going to make an all-star team, that was the perfect time in my life for that to have happened. It was my last year in Minnesota, which I did not know at the time was going to be. 
So, and also one of the, the things I remember and the coolest part of it is unfor- for the unfortunate reason, because he passed away, my all-star uniform had the number three on my sleeve with Harmon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think everything encompassed in all of that um, just made for a really, really cool experience and something that I could reflect on and understand how special it was. One of the things I think that, as you mentioned, the timing that strikes me is that you were already a guy who inside the game had earned the respect of your peers. There was no question about that in any clubhouse or dugout around Major League Baseball. But then to have the, that honor added to it where you get to line up alongside those guys who already, I think, saw you as one of their own. I thought, I thought that was, uh, you know, fits right in with what you're talking about with the timeline of it. Yeah, and I, I remember vividly, you know, going around the room, and I, I was having a conversation in the in the clubhouse at the time with Josh Beckett, and he was like, "So, how many of these is this for you?" And I was like, "Man, this is my first one." He he was floored; he couldn't believe yeah. it. So, to your point, um, you know, that made me feel pretty good. It made me feel pretty good that from my peers, especially a guy that I've competed against for a long time, he saw me as an all-star before I made the all-star team. And that, that was pretty special. And and I'll I'll remember that conversation for a long, long time. Well, you made another one with the Rockies and you DH. That was a game that was in New York and you hit eighth in the order for the national league. Do you know who hit eighth for the American league in that all-star game? Oh man, I do not remember. Joe, maybe (laughs) Joe Maurer, Joe Maurer hit eighth for the American league. That game was like a twins reunion. Uh, early yeah. 2000s Twins reunion. Joe's hitting eighth. Uh, Torrey was in the game. Uh, David Ortiz was in the game. Carlos Gomez was in the game. You were starting a DH for the National League. It was like old Jesse home. Jesse Crane. Jesse Crane was yeah, there. Yeah, Jesse. Yeah, but he was injured. I think. I don't. I think he couldn't throw. Right. But he was. Right. But he was there. Yeah. Jesse was part of that All Star team Grant, as well. I faced Grant Balfour. Not some. some yeah. That is some kind of an experience there uh, in the All-Star game. And, of course, with the Rockies, you also did this, and we're going to take a listen to our old buddy Joe Castiglione in Boston. Here's the pitch, and he swings and loops one down the right field line. It's trouble. It falls for a base hit. Here comes two runs to cross the plate. Eight to one Rockies. Blockman followed by LeMay, who's scoring on a soft single by Kadai, who's going to be the National League batting champ. And a rough, rough outing for Brandon Workman. I don't know about soft. I mean, that sounded like a rocket from there. I was, I was sitting there. Hey, they I mean, all count, man. They all I, count the same. That, batting title. Uh, again, yeah. you were a guy who always fashioned yourself a baseball player. Every aspect of the game. Uh, and it didn't matter if you played infield or outfield, and you were going to hit for some power, but you weren't just a slugger, and you hit for some average, but you weren't Tony Gwynn, and you could run, but you weren't Ricky Henderson. Did you ever possibly envision winning a batting title? I didn't. And you know what I think? And and this is something I learned in 2013. Walt Weiss was our manager and he was a big, he trained with a lot of MMA fighters in the off season and he would bring in speakers, whether it be a Navy SEALs or, you know, different influential people. He would bring them in to speak during spring training. And he brought an MMA fighter in, an MMA champion. And he, his lesson, he gave about a half hour, 45 minute speech. And his lesson was self-talk and, um, the mental toughness and mental awareness and believing in yourself and continuing to talk to yourself until you believe it. And I took that, 
to heart that year and really started implementing that into my daily routine and daily regimen. So to answer your question, no, I didn't feel like I could ever win the batting title because I I would feel like I was limiting myself mentally. Mm -hmm. And that year it kind of unlocked this other part of my brain where I just kept telling myself, look, I deserve to go three for four today and I deserve to go three for four tomorrow. And I don't have to wait for the other shoe to drop just because I'm six for my last eight doesn't mean I need to go oh for four today. I can go two for three again. And <laughs> yep. that year, because of that mentality and because of, of that outlook, I never had back-to-back games of offers. I had a 27-game hit streak and end up winning the batting title. And I, I firmly believe it was because I kind of unlocked something in my mind. And then the next year, even though I was hurt and it was an abbreviated year, I hit 340 again. Um, and unfortunately, the next year was my last year of my career. Physically, I just couldn't do it anymore. And, and in some ways, I wish I had learned that at 24. But in other ways, I'm just glad I learned that at all and learned that lesson because now I use that story and I use that lesson to talk to a lot of young players because baseball, you know, you hear it all the time. Uh, it's, it's a game of failure. It's built around failure. And you're all the time, even though you're talking about how to deal with failure, you're talking about failure. And mm-hmm. we don't need to do that in baseball. Let's talk about the successes. Let's talk about the three hits. Let's talk about the 300, not the seven outs that we're going to get. And it kind of unlocked my mind and allowed me to really go out there and believe in myself. So it was, it was an important and very impactful lesson for me. Yeah, the not have a back-to-back goose eggs is phenomenal. That is just a sure. that is just a remarkable thing. And again, it's something uh, I did a webinar this last week with the the with Justin Anderson, Doctor Anderson, the team psychologist, and he talked about seeing the fairway, not the water hazard. You know, the water hazards mm-hmm. out there, but why not look at all that green grass? And that's mm-hmm. kind of in line with what you're you're talking about. You're you're involved, obviously, with evaluating players for the Twins and developing players, and and passing on kind of your experiences and lessons just like that one Michael but it's also a a different era in terms of these guys it's let's do it now right like people we need you up here fast while you still don't cost very much and let's go and I wonder how different it would have been for you if you had been drafted in a different era like that because you mentioned yourself you had to you had to hit some bumps in the road before it all clicked into place for you it was a little different time. Coming up in the minor leagues were different times. I mean, you had to put numbers up year in and year out to get promoted. You didn't just get promoted as a rite of passage, rite of passage the next year. Um, you know, I mean, I hit 19 or 16, 17 home runs as a 20-year-old in the Florida State League. Went up to double A, had to repeat double A. Um, I had 25 home runs at the All-Star break in double A my second year there and had to stay the whole year. Um, you know, went back to AAA the following year after that. Yeah. Had 23 home runs at the All-Star break. Got sent back down. I mean, there was there was times when, you know, you're like, man, what, what else do I have to do? But then as you look back, and again, you, you have to self-evaluate. I, I really wasn't ready at those times. And I and to the credit to our farm director and, and our minor league system at that point, they, they recognized that. And they were really good at recognizing that. And I think that's why a lot of players from our eras, like that early 2000, mid-2000 twins, played 10-plus years in the major leagues. Because that's an anomaly. 10-plus mm-hmm. years – 
of service time in the major leagues is not normal. And a lot of guys from those teams got 10 plus years in because they dealt with the struggle, but more importantly, they made it to the big leagues when they were supposed to make, make it to the big leagues. And I think you're, you're because of what you talked about with financials and getting players worth and players value, you're not seeing guys get called up when they're supposed to, maybe they've earned it, maybe they've warranted it, but they're still not supposed to be there yet. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really nice way of putting it and a really insightful way of putting it. And the impact also is players who aren't supposed to be there yet. It, the whole scope of how the game gets played over the landscape of the entire league changes a bit when players who are or have learned those lessons aren't in the league and, and other guys are. It's a, it's a fascinating give and take, and, and development is, you know what, if it was easy, everyone would know how to do it, and there'd be one way to do it. But <laughs> every player is different, and every path is different, uh, and it is a, it's, it's a fascinating, fascinating discussion. And, Michael, your path was one that we were fortunate enough to get to watch, and thanks for going down memory lane a little bit with us today. No, thank you. I haven't thought about a lot of those situations in a long, long time. So I appreciate you bringing them back to my uh, to my attention. When you get done teaching second grade math, I want you to sit down with the girls and you can tell them all about your first walk off home run. All right, tell them about the tap. Ta- ta- <laughs> you can tell yeah, them about I'm the sure time that's, that's the first thing they'll want to hear about. <laughs> Well, Michael, we hope that we're seeing you back here uh, in your customary uh, position as a, a Twins Hall of Famer and a Twins advisor and a big part of the Twins family at some point before this summer turns into fall. In the meantime, we're happy you're safe. Uh, we encourage you and the entire family to, to stay that way. Uh, and your insights and your time are appreciated as always, and it's uh, wonderful to catch up with you. Yeah, Chris, same to you, man. Be safe, and I uh, hope to see everybody there in Twin City soon and hope everybody there is, is safe as well. All right, and I firmly expect you to text Red a picture of your turf and uh, gloat that you don't have to <laughs> mow it before the afternoon is out, all right? That's your homework. Uh, I will. <laughs> <laughs> all right, he is Michael Kadire, Twins Hall of Famer, and one of the more wonderful guys in all of baseball uh, to talk to about anything and everything regarding the game. We appreciate Pearson's uh, Salted Nut Roll for bringing you this edition of the Twins Clubhouse, and whether you joined us all across our Treasure Island Baseball Network or whether you're podcasting us wherever you seek out your Twins content. We appreciate having you on board. Until next week, we're going to close those Twins Clubhouse doors. We'll talk to you then right here on your home for Twins Baseball. This has been a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.